This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Well, the Dunedin study followed the lives and continues to of 1,037 babies born between the 1st of April 1972 and the 31st of March 1973 at Queen Mary Maternity Hospital here in Aotearoa, Dunedin, since their birth. And that study is now in its fifth decade, produced over 1,300 publications and reports, many of which have influenced or helped inform policymakers in New Zealand and overseas. It is a world-renowned study. Currently, we have an opportunity to um, to learn from that ourselves. The Slice of Life exhibition, the world-famous Dunedin Studies on at the old Smith City building at Anderson's Bay Road. It has been for a while now and uh, integrated with the New Zealand International Science Festival, which has just drawn to a close. But we get a continued opportunity to enjoy and learn from this. Here to tell us more about that this morning, Sean Hogan. Sean, uh, morning. Good to have you with us. Thank you very much for inviting me. No question about it. It's an incredibly important study, isn't it? It is. Um, There are lots and lots of longitudinal studies all around the world. But I'd say there are three things that make this study completely unique anywhere in the world. The first is that right at the very beginning, it was multidisciplinary. So when they started, they had a dentist, they had a psychologist, they had a respiratory physician. They've gathered world-class information from the very beginning um, in a really broad range of domains, uh, a broad range of areas. And those have been repeated and repeated and repeated all over the study members' lives. And the, the second thing that makes it different from anything else in the world is that we bring our study members back from anywhere in the world to put them through a day of laboratory testing and that means that we've got complete control over the assessment process and that means that the results we get are absolutely gold standard we can use the best equipment um, and we can make the best possible use of the time that the study members give us and the final thing that makes it completely unique in the world is the study members themselves an international study that's doing really well in its fifth decade they might get 70 percent of living study members to come along At phase 45, we saw 94% of living study members, uh, which is absolutely incredible and a testament to to the study members, to the people of Dunedin uh, and to the study members' parents who signed them up in the first place and got them there for the first 13 years or so uh, before we started getting consent direct from the study members. Um, So that's why I was so pleased. The exhibition has just travelled around New Zealand. It's been to Canterbury and to Motat up in Auckland and has just come back from Nelson but I was really keen to try and find a way that the people of Dunedin could enjoy it Um, and we were really lucky that Martin Dippy was kind enough to give us the Old Smith City building and we also got some support from Mitre 10 Mega to actually put the thing together we had to build rooms and things like that inside this superstore Um, so yeah Many Dunedin people have already been through, of course, uh, popular, no doubt. What will we find when we visit A Slice of Life? Well, I've I've described it some places as taking a walk through a thousand lives. Um, as soon as you walk into the, this huge space, absolutely gigantic space, um, on your left there's four full-size rooms. There's uh, rooms from the, a room from the 70s, that's a lounge room. There's a room from the 80s, that's a uh, young person's bedroom. A room from the 90s, that's more like a, a student room. Uh, with everything from a little bit of stainage on the carpet to the upended Marquet Vu bottle on the floor. Um, 
and a toasty pie maker on the table, that being the main form of sustenance for the average student at that time. Um, and then finally in the 2000s we got another lounge room as the study members reached the stage where perhaps they're having their children. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, and I mean I'm, I'm having a bit of a laugh because you've already pushed a few buttons for me that must be what happens for many people when they see that part of the exhibition that first part of the exhibition it works on the reminiscence muscle and um i'm not sure that as a as a society we spend enough time looking back and remembering where we've come from the journey over the last 30 40 50 years has been like being on a roller coaster whether you look at what technology was or, or how your phone used to have a handle on the side which you'd wind to get your outside line uh, or a rotating dial and now you don't have a phone at all that's attached to the wall because you gave that up a few years ago and you work off your cell phone. There's, there's such a history that's changed over the last number of decades that I think if we don't spend a bit of time remembering where we've come from, it's going to be really hard for us to know where we want to go in the future. And it's, it's nice as well when people physically react to the rooms um, I've had people who've been almost moved to tears just going through the rooms as it reminds them of their past or somebody perhaps who's passed away. Um, that's really special. Reminiscing part of it, but certainly not all of us. What else will we find as part of the so exhibition? That's, that's stage one. That's where we sort of are celebrating the life of the study members. And in front of each room, there's a double-sided display case with just beautiful items in the, uh, from the time, so things like the knuckle bones and the the um, the um, wombles and uh, a, a nice big basil brush and various other things. A Rally Twenty bike that was just about the sign for freedom uh, when our study members were in their early teenage years. But once you've finished with the rooms and with the display cases, then we move on to getting a better understanding of the study and getting a bit of an understanding of the science. And that's mainly told through touch screens um, as well as some wall displays and stuff. Um, and then finally, on the other side of the room, you'll find a number of interactives. Um, the interactives are mainly designed around the fact that there's a, a really nice old time pilot machine that stood in the study members' lounge since 1985. So whenever they come in to see us for the study, from teenage up to age 45, the study members can play on this one Space Invaders machine uh, that they've got to know quite well over the last sort of, you know, 35 years. Um, but that that gave me a theme for the for the Space Invaders case. So we built a couple of extra machines. We built a machine called an Agenator, which will take your photo and then age you, often horrifically, to 72. Um, and you can add certain effects so you can see what you'd look like if you were smoking or if, um, if you had a lot of sun damage on your skin. Um, and then I've also got a machine called a cardiator, which if you hold the handles for about four seconds, a large heart on screen starts beating in time with your heart. So the kids can then run off and do some star jumps uh, and run back to the machine and get their heart really going and see their heart rate change. Um, for this particular leg of the exhibition because I had a big area to fill I've also got a 20 foot inflatable brain we even drove a Hillman Hunter car in there to tell some stories about lead in petrol and uh, road safety and uh, finally we built a little 
a little interactive called a gaitonator. Uh, we looked at our study members and we were able to age them biologically. We were able to age their brains. Uh, we had them in an MRI for 75 minutes. We were able to age their heart, their lung, their teeth, their eyes, every, every organ you can think of, really. Um, and we found that our 45-year-olds were aged between 30 and 70 biologically. And then we asked them to walk on a walkway six metres long. And we found that the people who walked slowest were the oldest, and the people who walked fastest were the youngest. So we've devised a little interactive where you can see how fast you walk. It'll tell you how many seconds it takes you to cover the six-metre gap and how many kilometres an hour you're walking, just for fun. Some of our listeners might recall a similar exhibition at Tōtuika Otago Settlers Museum a few years ago. That's right, and the, the history of, of this current exhibition is completely intertwined with that. Um, the first exhibition we had on the study uh, was a great success. It was the most popular exhibition that Toitu had. And so when it finished, well, to be honest, I wasn't quite ready for it to finish. So um, after a bit of a hiatus of a year or so, I approached uh, a number of agencies to see if I could get some funding to turn it into a travelling exhibition. So this version 2.0 takes, um, I hope, all of the best of the Toitu exhibition, um, but puts it into into cases and, and setups that can be moved from one place to another. Um, and that allowed us to, um, to add some new things. So we've been able to add results from phase 45, um, but keep some of the lovely things, which for me was the rooms. Um, and so that's, that's how this came about. Uh, I felt it was really, really wonderful because I believe that it's just about the only exhibition on a living, breathing science experiment in the world, which is still ongoing. And, and what is your hope there for those who attend? Obviously, mm. uh, you're reflecting on this this amazing and ongoing piece of work, but what mm. would you want people to take from it? Well, it, it's funny. You, you can have an idea of what you want people to take, but what I've noticed is that people really engage with the space in on their own terms. So, you know, ideally, I'd like everybody to walk out able to answer a quick one to ten on the major findings of the Dunedin study um, and just how wonderful our study members are for keep coming back. And a lot of people will do that. But other kids will run in, they'll have a wonderful time on the interactives, and what they'll remember might be the 20-foot inflatable brain. But what I really want them to remember is that between the university and Dunedin, the people of Dunedin, um, world-class research has been done, which has changed the world in a, in a hundred tiny ways um, and has continuing impact both on the, sort of the, the, the social policy of New Zealand and around the world. Well, we can't um, go through a hundred of them. Sure, yeah. but but, yeah. but what can we point to that people might recognise mm. uh, in terms of its influence on on what we see and how we live our lives today? Yeah, there's been there's been lots of different stuff over the years. So if I were to just sort of pick a couple of highlights and try and spread them over the life course. Um, in the early days, one of the first really really large pieces of work was a snappily titled uh, book about um, otitis media with effusion. Effectively, the Dunedin study helped to write the book on glue ear. A lot of the young kids who were being assessed in the study, they were actually deaf on the day that they were being tested in one or even both ears. Um, and nobody had really appreciated how bad glue ear could be for kids, how it could uh, limit their understanding of what was going on at school. 
So that that greatly greatly changed how the importance that was given to glue ear and the way it was treated. Um, then, as we go on up through, um, I think maybe in in early adulthood there was some incredible work done looking at how and why pe- young people offend, and they were able to identify that the vast majority of young offenders would actually grow out of it, would move on, would stop offending, even ones who'd offended quite badly as youths but that a very small percentage of people would start offending early and would continue offending throughout their lives or for much of their adult life. Now, being able to separate out these two groups, that led to changes in how the criminal justice system worked. If you look now in this country at youth aid, at diversion, um, because what they found was the worst possible thing you could do to a young offender was to expose them to other criminals and to expose them to gangs. So saving young people from going down that criminal route when they don't need to and diverting them into other ways of, of, of supervision. That was hugely important. Um, and then if I move into sort of midlife, they, they found that if there's one thing, one sort of trait that could be, could be learnt at the earliest part of life but could really change outcomes, it would be self-control. Uh, when they analysed all the data, they found that the people who had developed good self-control as children, they did so much better by midlife. Um, they also found that people who learnt self-control were able to do so much better. Um, so that was, that was really, really important. Um, people all around the world started taking renewed interest in how you teach kids self-control. Because self-control is something that that's a tide that rises all boats but it rises the people who really need it the most the people who because of their poor self-control could end up uh, with really negative life outcomes finally what's the study up to now well we've shown that even at midlife uh, you know i mentioned that we were able to age our study members and even at midlife their age range was between 30 and 70 that's going to be the next huge and ongoing study how do people age how do people get on to certain trajectories in life uh, which are going to mean that they're going to age particularly badly or get on to certain trajectories that mean they're going to age particularly well and that's probably something all of us should be a little bit concerned about. <laughs> Sean, um, it's been a heck of a year and a half. Uh, any mm. impacts mm. on the study from the limitations around COVID-19? Well, we were, we were very lucky that we were able to finish seeing all of our study members at 45. Um, and because there's just no way we could have we could have managed this if we'd have been seeing them two years later through the middle of covid we simply couldn't we would have to have put off this phase and do it later Uh, when we say phase phase means age so when we see them at age 45 um we're hoping to see our study members again when they all turn 52 so we've got a couple of years left yet hopefully borders will be normalized by then um but the other thing is we, we generally say that we'll never contact our study members between the phases. We, we just ask for a day or a day and a half from them. And then we leave them alone for up to seven years, apart from sending them the odd newsletter. But COVID was so important that we've just in the, in the last stages of contacting every study member and asking them what they feel about the vaccine. Who do they trust in terms of giving them health information? Those sorts of questions. Because we want to be able to feed that straight to, straight to government, we want to be able to um, let, 
allow the fact that we know so much about our study members to sort of help with that public health outreach. Um, who do people want to hear from? Do they want to hear from government? Do they want to hear from media personalities? Or do they want to hear from their own GP? Because they're really interesting and important questions as well. So ongoing, really important work as part of the Dunedin study. Uh, you can have an opportunity still to visit A Slice of Life, the exhibition at the Old Smith City Building, 375 Anderson's Bay Road. Sean, how long will that opportunity likely remain open for us? Well, it's changed a couple of times so far. Um, we felt very lucky that um, Martin Dippy has allowed us to use the building for as long as, uh, as long as he can, and it's beginning to look like we should have all of August in place as well. And it's open seven days a week, 10 till 4, be lovely to see as many people in Dunedin as possible before it closes. It's certainly something that you'd hope that those who can can get along to go and see, uh, because in, in, a, in a funny way, we kind of all own it, don't we? Exactly. Well, that's been wonderful to talk with you, Sean. Thanks so much for taking some time to join us here on the Awesome Morning Show. Thank you very much. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin, with support from New Zealand On the Air.